0: You guys doing good? Well, I don't know about you, but I know and I feel the Holy Spirit in the room today. Like, it's it's strong. Like, I was in tears during worship, and even when Vincent came up to celebrate, like, I love it when a year nine is unashamed about following Jesus. And little moments like that just show me how much God is in this room and what God is doing. And I know God is about to do something significant through this message. And so I want you guys to lean in. I hope that this is a message that will actually spark some really cool conversations in the cafe afterwards. Because our cafe is open again. So you can have those conversations in the cafe afterwards. But I hope it's a message that will lovingly challenge your heart. I hope that it's a message where you won't put up some walls, but you will actually hear what God wants to say to you today. Is that okay? Let's pray before we jump in. God, I just thank you so much for being here with us today. I thank you for bringing the whole family back together again and for the way that we can celebrate you and praise you despite what's going on around the world. And God, I thank you so much for what you are about to do. I thank you for the way that you're gonna challenge our hearts and our spirits. I thank you for the way that you're gonna unveil more of your heart to us. And God, I pray that you would do something significant in each of our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, we are gonna center around a particular parable in Luke chapter 10. This is a parable that is pretty famous. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and so if you have your Bible or if you have a Bible app or if you're on our Elam app, you can find the Bible on there. You can read along with me or just read it on the screen, and let me also preface this by saying you might have heard this story before. You might have heard messages on it before, but can I tell you that I feel like God actually wants to bring you something new today? I don't want you to check out and think, I know everything there is to know about the Good Samaritan. No, you don't. No, you do not. And you're about to hear something new. And so I want you to take what you've already learned and add this on top of it. This might challenge you in a way. Is that all good? I'm starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, maybe this is a question you've asked before, too. We talked about eternity last week. Maybe this is something that is stirring in your heart, too. And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the expert in the law just wanted to justify himself real quick, so he asked Jesus, um, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus, who is it that you are asking me to love? Like, who is it that you are asking me to treat The way that I want to be treated this man with this very question is attempting to draw some lines in which he can live his life comfortably he's attempting to draw some lines that he can put around who he's supposed to love according to God's law and who he could just not love that's what this man is doing in this moment and I I think we've all had a mixed bag of neighbors in our life right I don't know about you, I have. I've lived in a number of different houses. I've had a mixed bag of neighbors, and some neighbors are awesome. Like, they're amazing. You wish you could take those neighbors with you when you move. That kind of awesome. And then if if we're honest, there's just some neighbors that, for lack of a better phrase, they just kind of suck, you know? Like... my best neighbors that I've ever had in my life is this family that lives next to my parents back in Oklahoma. We grew up next to them. It's the Abbott family. The Abbott family are incredible people. They're the kind of people that will just wander on over for a birthday barbecue. They're the type of people that whenever I was home from university, they would always make sure to come over and say hi and to check in on how I was doing at uni. They're the type of neighbors that would come over and help us with outdoor chores when they had better lawn equipment than us. And they all had better lawn equipment than us and so they were often helping us they were awesome and we loved the Abbott's they were best neighbors ever but the reality is the Abbott's don't live everywhere oh no not everybody is as loving and as kind and generous as the Abbott family in fact in the same neighborhood growing up somebody else decided to kill my great Pyrenees dog named polar bear with a shotgun Not a good neighbor, right? That neighbor sucked. Um, But maybe maybe you can't relate to that extreme circumstance. Like, that wouldn't happen here in New Zealand. So let's let's talk about some neighbors that maybe you guys can relate to in some way. See, have you ever lived in an apartment facility that had a shared laundry space? Because we have. And there was this one time there's this kind of passive-aggressive elderly neighbor of ours who only wanted us to do our laundry in between the hours of like 9 to 6. You know, that was the laundry time in her book. And we were never home 9 to 6. And so we would get home, put our laundry in, and then come back an hour later just to discover that she unplugged it from the wall because she didn't like the noise. Who does that? We've also... um, Lived in a place where, this was back when I was in uni, one of my roommates had a a bedroom that had a fire door in it. And this fire door, it was locked, but in case of a fire, it opens, right? But on the other side of the fire door was a different uni student, like a, a stranger that we knew nothing about, yet we knew everything that was going on in that bedroom. And the walls were so thin that we would politely knock or slide a note under the door and ask her to please be a little less loud when she was active. And she... Decided to get louder, and my roommate had a very awkward year. Like, I've also lived in a place where our bedroom shared a wall with somebody else's staircase, and this staircase um, belonged to a family with a number of small children, and these small children had some type of game on the staircase where they just ran like a stampede of little elephants just well past 11 p.m., like, Little kids, well past 11 p.m., just all up and down, and despite, again, some just polite knocks and, hey, can we please sleep, the stampede never ceased. Like, some some neighbors just aren't aware of what's going on. Some neighbors maybe kind of suck sometimes at being aware of what's happening outside of their bubble, of what's happening outside of their internal world, and so maybe this guy, when he's talking to Jesus, maybe he's had some neighbors like this and he's like, hold up, just Jesus real quick. Who is it you are asking me to love because I've had a mixed bag of neighbors? Maybe he's, maybe he's asking this question and so Jesus responds in his usual fashion with a story because that's his style. And so Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The next day, he took out two denarii. Now, a denarius was equivalent to a full day's wage. So two days' wage he gave to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus says, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this story before, but I don't know if you understand the full significance of what is happening in this short yet powerful parable. In fact, when Jesus told this story, it would have been nothing short of scandalous to the Jews who were listening to him. This was a scandalous story to say that a Samaritan helped out a Jew because in this day and time, that was two people groups that did not mix They actually kind of hated each other and they did not want to mix socially. They viewed themselves as separate. And so the Jews would have just assumed that the Jews were their neighbors and Samaritans were others. And so really what this expert in the law is asking is he's saying, hey, Jesus, when you say neighbor, you mean my fellow Jew, right? That's what he's really asking in this moment. And Jesus was saying the exact opposite. There was this um, writer, R.A. Culpepper, Culpepper wrote a commentary on this story. And he said, Jesus kills two proverbial birds of prejudice with one stone. First, he is making the point that loving one's neighbor is to transcend all racial and cultural boundaries. Second, Jesus is challenging Jews' stereotyped negative generalization of Samaritans by casting a Samaritan as the compassionate hero. Y'all, in one Short parable. Jesus is powerfully addressing the prejudice so evident in the room. He is saying our love and our compassion for people should have no racial or cultural boundaries. He's saying that we should love people in a way without stereotypes. And he's saying the people that you want stereotyped with a negative generalization are actually capable of the same unbiased love too. Who you thought was your enemy was actually the one who stopped to help your fellow Jew. This was a scandalous story because the tension between these two groups at this point in time was palpable. In fact, around the time that the gospel of Luke started to circulate, there was this racial flare-up between these two groups that would have made headline news, however news traveled in that day. And so I want to read to you another commentary. This is from Daniel J. Hayes. He said, in AD 51... People from the Samaritan village of Geni murdered one or more Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Jews appealed to their Roman rulers for justice, but the Romans ignored them. So they took it into their own hands. An unruly mob from Jerusalem then went down to Ganai, massacred all the inhabitants, and burned the village to the ground. And at this point, the Romans intervened. They arrested and executed several of the Jews involved. Another author, James Hart, commented saying this incident was another example of the animosity and the pain that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Although this massacre happened after Jesus had told the story of the Good Samaritan, most scholars agree that Luke wrote his letter sometime between 80, 57 and 60, meaning the Ganai incident would have still been front page news when Luke's gospel was circulating, including this story. So it is clear that the Good Samaritan not only teaches us today, but spoke directly to the social justice issues experienced by first century readers in the midst of incredible tension between two racial groups, the The Good Samaritan was a counter narrative of neighborly love and action. Now that you know the real tension between these two people groups and what was happening in these biblical times, let's examine what Jesus is really trying to say to us through this story. Because the first guy that Jesus introduced us to is the priest. And when we see the priest walking by, we're thinking, of course, the man who is in communion with God. We'll have compassion on him. And, of course, he will stop. But for some reason, this priest allowed his own biases or prejudices to surface in that moment. And he, he looked at the guy and goes, well, I don't know him. Like, he's a Jew, but he's not, not a Jew from my temple, so not my issue. And instead, he just decided to cross to the other side of the road and said nothing. But when Jesus is telling us to love our neighbors, what he's really saying What he's really asking of us is to say something over saying nothing. Say something over saying nothing. The priest didn't even shout out, hey, are you okay? He didn't even call out to him to say, hey, I'm going to get you some help. Somebody's going to come for you. He didn't say anything. He just pretended as if he didn't exist. And I know that sometimes many people don't know what to say. And so they say nothing at all. But think of how differently this priest could have responded. Think of how differently he could have responded if he just said, hey, man, I see you. I see you hurting. I see you bleeding. I don't know how to help you, but I know the God who does. Could I pray for you? And then could I send somebody to you to actually help bandage your wounds? He could have said something, but he said nothing. We have to say something over saying nothing. And then Jesus introduces us to this second guy, the Levite. And a Levite is like an assistant to the priest. And so this guy would be serving in the temple daily. And so when the Levite comes by and passes to the other side of the road, some people might have thought, but hey, this is a guy that serves in God's house. This is a guy that should show compassion on him. He's in God's house daily, but he crossed to the other side of the road. Why? Perhaps he thought he was unqualified to help. Maybe he looked at the man and thought, maybe this this is a job for a priest and I'm just the assistant. Like I just serve in the church and they need the leader of the church. Maybe somebody else will help him. Perhaps he tried to just disqualify himself in his mind. But if we wanna truly love our neighbors the way that God is asking us to, then we need to be present over being perfect. Be present over being perfect. The guy who was lying on the side of the road fighting for his life did not need somebody to come and pray a perfect prayer. He did not need somebody to come to him and bandage his wounds perfectly. He didn't need somebody to know exactly what to do. He just needed somebody to care enough to stop. He just needed somebody to be present with him in his pain, present enough to offer some assistance, present enough to hear his cries, present enough to carry him to safety where maybe somebody else could properly care for him. But the Levite chose to be absent. He chose to play ignorance. And when Jesus is asking us to love our neighbor, he is asking us to be present over being perfect. And then Jesus brings in this third guy. The Samaritan, the unlikely hero of our story. You see, he was not a Jew, yet he saw the Jew lying in his path. He was not a Jew, yet he heard the Jew crying out in pain. He was not a Jew, yet he approached the Jew, bridging the gap that humanity had created, closing this chasm that sin had crafted. And he said, hey, man, I don't know you, but I'm here to help you. He actually was the one to step up and help. And if we want to truly love our neighbors the way that Jesus is asking us to, then we need to be inconvenienced over plain ignorance. We need to be inconvenienced over plain ignorance. This Samaritan did not play a part in creating that particular Jew's pain. He didn't, but yet he chose his response wisely to who was now in his path. Instead of playing ignorance like the previous two men had done, he chose to be inconvenienced, to counteract culture with this act of genuine neighborly love. See, he chose to stop. He chose to use what was in his hands, which was some oil and some wine, and use whatever he had to try and bandage his wounds. He chose to get off of his own donkey and put the neighbor up on a donkey and walk alongside him. He chose to be a little bit late to wherever it was that he was headed so that he could be a good neighbor. He then chose to pay the price so that that man could stay at the end. All of this was based on choices, one after the other. He chose to show mercy meaning he withheld his judgment and he withheld his assumptions and instead extended this hand of grace. And the big question after reading this story is, can you love like this? Can you love like this? In today's world, with what's going on, with today's racial tension, can you love your neighbor like this? I think when we Often read this story, we try to picture ourselves and one of the three characters, we're like, well, am I the priest or, or the Levite or the Samaritan? Who am I really? But who are you really? Because I think we often forget where we came from, which is the ditch. See, at some point, you were actually the guy lying on the side of the road. At some point, you were the one in pain. At some point, you were the one who was suffering. I know because I was once that person. I was once that person who needed help. In October of 2012, I had just arrived in New Zealand. I didn't know many people, and I got real lonely real quick. And I was the person who needed help. I was that girl who was blackout drunk in the CBD, going from bar to bar with strangers I had just met that day. I was the one who needed help. And Jesus, the good Samaritan, he found me in my mess and he protected me. And then the next weekend he led me to an inn, an inn named Elam Christian Center. He led me to an inn where he, he bandaged my wounds, but then he asked that church to look after me. I was not a Kiwi, yet the Kiwis in that church embraced me. I was not a Kiwi, yet the Kiwis in that inn discipled me. I was not a Kiwi, yet it was Kiwis in that inn that welcomed me as their neighbor. And they could do that because they knew suffering too. Not necessarily the same type of suffering, but they knew suffering nonetheless. It was Jesus who rescued me, yes, but it was the people in that inn that took care of me. It was the people in that inn that helped me get back on my feet and walk out the purpose I was created for. And I realized something powerful through their neighborly love for a foreign American who couldn't yet pronounce Modi names properly, who couldn't yet drive on the left side of the road who didn't really know much about New Zealand at all outside of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, I realized something through their neighborly love that once you've been rescued, return the favor. Keys can join me now. Once you've been rescued, return the favor. See, if Jesus has rescued you from your suffering and brought you to the end, the greatest thing that you could do now Is actually join the dream team that welcomes other people in. The greatest thing that you could do after you've found restoration in the inn is to actually step onto the team that hosts people. The team that packs food boxes for people who are hungry. The team that prays for people who are hurting. The team that embraces a lonely traveler in the guest lounge. The team that speaks purpose into our kids. The team that leads other people into the presence of God through worship. That is the greatest thing you could do once you've been rescued and restored. It was by God's design that we would turn around and then start to serve and love our neighbors in this community. And then this is what the Samaritan said to the innkeeper. As he paid the price for this man who was broken, he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Samaritan is returning to the inn. Y'all, do you realize that Jesus is coming back to the church? Jesus is coming back to the church, and what will you be doing when he walks into the room? What will you be doing when he walks into the room? You know, God is highlighting hurting people to us all the time, but it's not always somebody bleeding on the side of the road, it's not always that blatantly obvious. It could be the classmate of yours that you know is getting bullied. Say something over saying nothing. It could be that colleague of yours that you know is battling anxiety or depression, just be present over being perfect. It could be the cashier from across the road who, whose smile is not really masking their internal pain, be a little inconvenienced over plain ignorance. It could be the family member or the friend who other people have exiled, bring them to the end. It could be that immigrant that just moved into your neighborhood and needs some friends. Bring them to the inn. Because God has asked us to look after him. To look after her. To look after them and look after them until that he returns. He's asked us to notice other people's pain. He's asked us to sacrifice some of our resources in order to bandage others' wounds. He's asked us to help people get back on their feet and he is coming back, y'all. He is coming back. We don't know when, but we do know he is returning for his bride, which is the church. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be on my feet serving people, serving the people he sent me when he walks into the room. I wanna be doing whatever I can to make more rooms in this inn for more weary travelers. I know that I want to continue training more leaders and more disciples to reach, serve, and influence this community. We were called to be the innkeepers of this church plant. And he's not asking everybody to be an innkeeper, but he is saying, could you serve in the inn? Could you do something for your neighbor? Could you maybe sacrifice some of your resource in order to bandage somebody else's wounds? Could you you love them like this? What has he asked you to do? Who has he placed in your path? And how has he asked you to serve? I wanna finish this message a little bit differently. And I want each of you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I'm gonna play a song. And I want you to think about the lyrics to this song and really search your heart. We're going to have a little heart checkup right now because God wants to do something incredible with each of us. And perhaps you need to just open your hands to God. Maybe you need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry if I haven't been loving people the way you wanted me to do. Into
1: the room. What would you do if he
0: walked into the room? Be honest with yourself. What would you say? Let him search your heart. If he walked into the room, if you need to apologize, how would you break? if you need to grab the hand of the person next to you
1: room,
0: if you need to repent how would you shout for the way that maybe you treated somebody
1: if you into the room, do it now because
0: we're going to be a church
1: that does better
0: we are going to love better and this is a church for everyone. This is an inn where everybody is welcome. Yes,
1: yes. What would you do?
0: big question I know it's a big ask and we might not know what's truly gonna happen in the moment when he comes back but if there's something that you need to change in your heart don't keep waiting God has asked us to love people to serve people through sacrifice and to embrace people of all cultures like family. I don't wanna get off this platform without praying for one particular group. I know that people are crying and there's, there's a lot going on right now, but if you could just keep your eyes closed for this one moment. I wanna know if there's anybody here where you're saying, yeah, Darcy, I'm in the ditch. I don't know Jesus, I don't know the good Samaritan and I need help. I'm here at the end, but I don't know how I got here. And I want to know this healer. I want to know Jesus. If you don't yet know him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to meet him right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to him in the same way that Vincent did last week. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never prayed this prayer, or maybe it's been years and you wanna come back to Jesus and you wanna say, God, I'm sorry,
1: I want you to make
0: my life right, then I want you to pray this prayer with everything that you've got. Say, dear Jesus, I recognize that I need help. I recognize that I am a sinner. I'm a little bit broken. I'm a little bit bruised and I need a savior. God, I want you to be my savior, to be my healer, to be my provider, and to be my Lord. Would you show me what you've got for me? Because all I have is yours. In Jesus' name. If you could just keep your eyes closed. I just want to know who it is that I've been praying for. If that was you, could you just do something brave for me and lift your hand on the count of three. One, two. I see those hands here in the middle, amazing. God loves you, God loves you. I see those hands on the left. God loves you, God sees you. I see that hand at the front. God loves you, God sees you. Is there anybody else saying, yeah, Darcy, I'm in the ditch and I need some help. I need to know this Jesus. Amen. Awesome, awesome. In just a moment, you're gonna open your eyes and what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate. Because when anybody makes this decision, there is a party going on in heaven because you have just met your Savior. So on the count of three, could we give God the biggest shout of praise? One, two, three.
1: Amazing.